Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 111, and it's the Halloween episode where we're reviewing Tokyo Ghoul. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. The day this episode actually premieres is Halloween itself. So we knew going into this year when we were looking at our schedule that we had to do something fun for the actual Halloween episode. And uh, if you guys have been following us long enough, you know that Carl really loves the song Unravel. Oh, I thought you were going to say I really love Halloween. Which no, I really love Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> but you really love the song Unravel, which is the OP song for mm -hmm. Tokyo Ghoul. But neither of us had ever watched it. And we know that there's a lot of memes that come out of that anime. So we knew at some point we were going to review Tokyo Ghoul on the podcast um, and be able to have full context around the OP Unravel. And we thought, what a better time to review this iconic anime than for Halloween itself. But before we talk more about that spooky holiday, there was another spooky celebration that happened <laughs> earlier this month. I don't know if spooky is the right adjective to it, but it was Courtney's birthday earlier this month. So happy belated birthday to you. Thank you. Yes, my birthday was on the 23rd. Um, so the timing is a little bit uh, later than normal, but we had our really special Attack on Titan episode with Brian from TV Trivia Pod on the 24th. So uh, yeah, I appreciate the, the belated wishes. And thank you to everyone on the Discord who also wished me a happy birthday. I really, really appreciate it. And we've been doing a lot of like celebrating in general. Again, I love Halloween. It's my favorite holiday. Um, I take full advantage of October because, yeah, my birthday, Halloween, all that fun stuff. Um, so we've been doing a lot of celebrating, a lot of partying. Mm -hmm. We had a combo birthday and Halloween party at our place with a lot of our friends that um, we go to anime conventions with. And everyone dressed up. We drank a lot. Yeah, it was just basically like an anime convention party. yeah <laughs> like even those halloween you know it still felt like everyone was in cosplay but the interesting thing is instead of being in like anime based costumes instead of being in cosplay it's the one time of year that we can dress up as something outside of anime um so there were a lot of really fun costumes and that was a, a good time and then more recently we had another halloween party that one of our other friends hosted um where there were a decent amount of like video game and based uh, and based and like <laughs> video N game Nintendo and characters, Japanese based yeah. costumes because there were there's quite a variety. But one of our friends dressed up as Sailor Moon um, and he's mm -hmm. a guy. So he dressed up as he cross played, I guess you could yeah. say, <laughs> as Sailor Moon. Um, unfortunately, his girlfriend wasn't able to attend, but she was planning to dress up as Tuxedo Mask. And then two of our other friends dressed up as Mario and Luigi. And then we dressed up as Ash, Ash and, and Snorlax. Snorlax. <laughs> With Carl being Ash and me being Snorlax because Snorlax is my favorite Pokemon. And you had like, I forgot what you described it, like a blanket hoodie, hoodie blanket. Yeah, it was super last minute, this costume. So you already had your Ash costume from several years ago mm -hmm. when we did Ash and Misty and then our other friend Kevin dressed up as Brock. So you brought that back out. Mm -hmm. um, and then me in sort of a scramble, I ordered a, a wearable blanket, quote unquote, off of Amazon that was in like the shape of Snorlax. It's really just a giant oversized hoodie with like Sherpa material 
uh, on the inside. It was super comfortable. So I thought it was a great costume because I was probably the most comfortable person at that entire party. But again, it being very last minute, we're like, what can we do? What can we reuse that we have in the closet? And then what can we quickly buy to make this costume work? But hey, I, I think it worked out really well. Yeah, I haven't worn that Ash cosplay for quite some time. Uh, so thankfully, the jacket still fit on me. I just had to, you know, I couldn't put it on one sleeve at a time. I had to kind of slip into it with both sleeves. Uh, but yeah, it kind of restricted my arm movements a bit. But yeah, it fit and it worked. And uh, I think my favorite thing about it or that cosplay is that the Pokeballs I use are the the ones that were distributed as uh, part of like Burger King's not happy meal whatever the equivalent was uh their kids meal or yeah whatever. and this was when i think the p- first pokemon movie came out uh i still have those pokeballs that had like the gold plated cards inside but then i used it as a pokeball for my cosplay don't ever lose that mm-hmm. I-, I need to find mine i have we have like three or four i think that my sisters and i collected um and they're stashed away somewhere probably at my parents house so i gotta find mine but yeah don't ever lose that i feel like that's a collector's item <laughs> yeah for sure and for those of you in our Discord, we'll share one of the photos of our costume um, in the Strictly Anime episode channel. So if you're not a member of the Discord, the link to join is in the description. Sticking more with the spooky theme for this episode, uh, in, in terms of anime, one series that I have watched recently that I think was released just in time for spooky season is Housing Complex C or I think Sidanchi as it's called in Japan. I believe I brought this up during our Fall Impressions episode just a few weeks ago. Uh, It has wrapped up. It was only four episodes, and I believe it was a, not a Crunchyroll original, um, an Adult adult Swim original. (laughs) Adult Swim. I don't know why I'm stuck with saying Adult Swim. I think I've heard Garnt call it Adult Swim once, but that's just because he's British. Uh, but yes, the the show is wrapped up, and I watched all four episodes. It's it wasn't as like sinister or as frightening as I thought it was going to be. I think a lot of people online had thought it would ha- bring back that sort of early two thousands creepy vibe to anime. But and I don't want to delve into too many details, just in case there are any listeners out there who want to watch the series. It was very confusing and the premise of it is that it centers around this this housing complex in this Japanese town that starts to experience strange phenomena and it's somewhat connected to this young girl who lives in the complex and like you learn more about her story and some of the housing complex's inhabitants and it's all related to this I guess this um, supernatural deity, which is probably the furthest deity you'd expect. I think it's it's a deity that people would be familiar with, but not necessarily something from like Japanese folklore. Um, so four episodes of that, the story was just, it was like you want to know the mystery, but at the same time, it wasn't like enthralling enough that you were hooked every episode, even though it pretty much ended on a climax every episode. And then the final episode, it, it ties everything together and you find out what the mystery is. 
but it's just so convoluted that it doesn't feel rewarding. And I feel like that's probably something, again, I don't watch a lot of scary movies or TV shows, but I feel like that's something that's always a downfall with like scary stories or horror stories, right? Like even, or like even with video games, like you have all of this crazy shit that's happening in the beginning, but as the story progresses, you find out what the truth is and it's more underwhelming than all of the scary shit that you experience. Do you think that way with like scary stories? Sometimes, yeah. And I just wonder like if this was a bit uh, too ambitious of a project because you can certainly tell a cohesive story, uh, probably a pretty successful story in four episodes. But can you tell a horror, I can't say that word, a scary story. Sorry, I'm like really bad at saying the word horror fast. Um, can you tell a scary story in just four episodes and be able to build the amount of suspense that's needed to actually yeah. get that scary feeling across? I don't think so. Um, and from what you're saying, it's it's a pretty confusing story. I mean, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised if really, again, all they have are four 25, maybe less minute episodes because mm -hmm. of OP and ED. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just... Um, a bit of a stretch for them to try and do something that big in that short amount of time. But yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of get, I got the same vibes at first too. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this because Adult Swim's working on it. And yeah, I'm also looking forward to that old school scary feel. But I ended up dropping it because the score is pretty damn low. It's at a 5.42 right now on Mal. Yeah. And I feel like it, this was probably just something they wanted to do in, in anticipation for October and and for Halloween, I can't say that it, it was like rushed in any way, but yeah, I feel like a more fleshed out story would have suited this show a little bit better. Uh, but for anyone who is interested, at least stateside, the show is available on HBO Max, all four episodes. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for the dub watchers out there, it the English dub is the only thing available. Um, I think I mentioned during our fall impressions that maybe I would watch it in the Japanese dub to see if like my opinion changes, but I, I, I highly doubt it. So that was another another sticking point for me as well. Um, I'm very much a sub person. I have nothing personally against the dub side of things, and there are a lot of great dubs out there, and I grew up on a lot of dubs, but I just prefer subbed anime. And when I heard the dub, when you started watching the first episode of housing complexity i was like eh, i don't know like I, I was kind of the same like maybe i'll just wait for a sub to come out but again with that score being 5.42 i'm like is it really worth my time even a short investment like four episodes am i even gonna walk away having enjoyed it or is it more like a chore to just you know watch it and add it to my list yeah because even hearing the protagonist's name spoken in the series i know in japanese it's supposed to be pronounced kimi but they kept saying it as Kimmy. And, you know, I, I get it. Like, it's supposed to be a sound that's more familiar to, like, the Western audience. But you know, for for a sub watcher as myself, it, it was a little bit jarring, I'll, I'll admit. I think the other kind of spooky thing related to anime that I wanted to bring up for this episode is it's not anime, but it, The Simpsons, like, they do an annual Treehouse of horror episode for their show 
Uh, I, I think for this season, I forget which season there are because The Simpsons has been going on since the late 80s. Since the dawn of time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they decided to do a story. Uh, so Treehouse of Horror is just all like an anthology of Simpsons stories based on like scary stories or horror franchises or media. And so for this round, one of the stories is going to be a parody of Death Note of all things. And I believe, like I saw some tweets of like imagery um, promoting the, the this new Treehouse Tree of Horror special. And I think they are doing the story in anime form for The Simpsons instead of the, the traditional American animation that we've seen for the show. And I think an interesting thing is that they uh, they asked one of the studios that worked on the original Death Note to put together this story for this episode. I don't think it's like the main studio that worked on it. I forget which studio. Was it Madhouse that worked on uh, Death Note? Hang on. Let me look it up right now. But I don't think it's it's them. It's more of like the the in between animators that worked on the show. But still, it's cool that they they brought a studio back that was familiar with the story to do this parody. Yes, Studio Madhouse. Okay, my my knowledge was perfect then. Uh, but I think this time around, or for the parody, it's going to be Lisa in the role of Light Yagami, and I believe Light Miyagami. Light Yagami? Oh, I thought you said Miyagami. <laughs> That's what I heard. I don't okay. know. <laughs> Light Yagami or Light Yagami. And Bart will be playing the Shinigami Ryuk. Uh, I think the episode is live as of this episode on whatever. I think Disney Plus is streaming The Simpsons. So I have yet to, to catch it, but I just want to see what the adaptation looks like. This is what happens when anime becomes more mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> like we are we are definitely entering an era where anime is truly becoming more accepted, more mainstream. We've talked about this before on the podcast and past episodes um, and coming from the generation where you didn't even want to talk about anime in front of your friends because you weren't sure if you'd get made fun of. It's just an interesting thing to see like for us to go from little cameos or mentions about anime in non-anime media like western media to like full-on episodes now dedicated to something that's based in anime so i i won't be watching it just because i don't watch the simpsons um but i if you watch it i'm interested to hear your thoughts yeah and i actually texted one of my friends who's a a simpsons fan um <laughs> and he said too bad they are out of touch and pick the hottest anime from 2007 <laughs> instead i mean like death note is is still an iconic horror anime so i understand why they would want to adapt it but yeah like <laughs> that was so 2007 i guess so i'll post a or we'll post a link in the discord to a tweet that shows a preview of the Simpsons episode that's going to feature the Death Note parody uh, just for anyone who's interested and maybe if they want to see more again you can find it on whatever streaming service in your country has the Simpsons let's keep the spookiness going with good old Tokyo Ghoul I would say this anime is not really scary you know like the traditional type mm -hmm. of scary but it's a creepy show with some really creepy themes, and I think it fits the season very, very well. And finally, 
we've watched it. You have context for Unravel. Now we can say <laughs> that we understand like the the meaning behind that very strange song that they use for that OP. What do you mean strange song? It it's is a such a weird song. song. I mean, it's iconic. That's for it's sure. It's been memed to shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's iconic. So now that you finally watched Tokyo Ghoul, I mean, what are your thoughts? Does it live up to the expectations that you had? I mean, did you even have any expectations going into it? Tell us, what did you think? Yeah, I really had no expectations for this one. Um, besides the fact that, you know, it's it's considered part of the horror genre. Uh, so I think part of me was expecting more like jump scare moments. Uh, but that doesn't really happen in, in Tokyo Ghoul. It doesn't hone in too much on the horror aspect of being a ghoul, despite having this sort of Jekyll and Hyde story with Kaneki. But I think it's interesting that it, it focuses on the emotional aspects of this ghoul society and how they try to live through life and how they feel like they're being mistreated by human society, which made me think, gee, that sounds an awful lot like a blockbuster hit anime series from recent memory, doesn't it? And I'm not going to mention that anime by name. If you know, you know, because it would be major spoilers for those who haven't seen the anime. Uh, but I guess another thing that I find it comparable to is uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. With you know, they're both really kind of, did you, uh, okay, you know, like with Kinda. Kaneki, right? Because he's yeah. he's he's sort of he's inherited uh, Rize's ghoul abilities, similar to how uh, Itadori has uh, <laughs> Sukuna's fingers inside of him. He got fingered so by like, Sukuna. You know, like, <laughs> they both have like these OP antagonistic characters' abilities, and it makes you think like what's going to happen with them, or like in, in our case, what's going to happen with Kaneki trying to wrestle with this. But I feel like that's that's not really what you see in this first season up until the very last episode i would have kind of preferred it like be a, a, a continuous source of conflict for him like he still has conflict in this show with him being this hybrid of human and ghoul but part of me feels like kaneki was more of a of a background character and a lot of the other characters were the ones that shined in the show do you have any other or do you have any similar thoughts or what did what did you think with Tokyo Ghoul since this was your first time watching it? Yeah, so I didn't know anything about this anime other than it's about ghouls and Unravel was the OP. And there's that one memed picture of like Kaneki like screaming and crying or whatever from the manga. So I was expecting this to be like ghouls that are more of a mindless enemy um, or maybe something more like foreign to the world, like the parasites from Parasite the Maxim. But apparently they have like whole factions and established territories and like their own society going on, you know, throughout Tokyo. So they are at the same level of intelligence as humans. So that was a very big surprise to me. Um, so I really didn't know what direction the show was going to go. I would say overall, um, I was pleasantly surprised. There was a, a lot that the show had to offer and the story, I think, has a ton of potential. And I'll talk more about why that is. Um, but I would say I, I do agree about Kaneki, like 
him falling to the wayside sometimes. Like he's very prevalent throughout the show. It's there's never a moment where he's really like not on screen, but sometimes he does get outshined by other people that he's with. And maybe mm -hmm. that's okay because maybe he's supposed to take this first season as like his growth period where he's trying to figure out like what the fuck do I do now that I'm no longer just a human, but half human, half ghoul. Um so I, I don't think it's um out of place for him to feel out of place. I think that it works perfectly for the setup that they're taking or that they're giving us through season one. Um, but I don't think that season one was a perfect season either. I think there's a lot of things that um, left. There's a lot of things that left me wanting more, but not even sure I wanted to invest in more. Yeah, I, I know that the season, it, it establishes the world and has all these characters, but there are still so many unknowns about the world of Tokyo Ghoul that I'm sure like they were priming to ramp up in the second season. But we, we've heard a lot of feedback from the community about the, the direction that the Tokyo Ghoul anime adaptation has gone. Uh, so I don't know if we'll really delve into the subsequent seasons, uh, but it, it does, does leave on this cliffhanger where like, you need to know more, but I think for our case, it's like, do we want to know more? One question I had uh, is with this anime, it was produced by Studio Piero. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have a list of what they've done in front of me. Didn't they do... Uh, yeah, they've done Naruto. I'm looking it oh. up right now. They've done Naruto, Black Clover, which looks like shit. Sorry, everyone. I'm oh, they did Bleach. Yeah, um, they did Bleach. It's, for anyone who's a big Black Clover fan, um, I won't comment on like the story itself, but 60 episodes in, I have to say, the animation is garbage. However, they did animate GTO... Or they, they did work on GTO, Yu Hakusho, and some other big titles. Um, Akudama Drive, which is like fucking gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So they have the potential to be good, but they also kind of have this reputation of having like mediocre animation. Okay. Yeah, that was my question. It's like, what did you think of the animation in the show? Because for me, I put in my notes, it was both appealing but plain. Because nothing really yeah. stuck out. Stuck out? <laughs> nothing really stuck out besides the the lavish fights between the ghouls and the the CCG or the ghouls against other ghouls. Yeah, animation wise, I think it it was very um average, but like not in a bad way because I I didn't always need it to look flashy. There was mm. a lot of um there was a lot of the story that was rooted in realism, right? Because you have to remember like Kaneki lived a normal life, a pretty regular life as a human. And then he's flung into this world of ghouls. So you still have to have that feeling of realism behind his story. Otherwise it just becomes like a big fantasy thing where it's super detached mm -hmm. from the human side of things. So I, I was fine. Like I felt like it was an appropriate type of animation for the show. And there were some fights that looked really nice. Yeah, I would say it had similar tones to Death Note where it's not animation that's all up in your face. It, it just makes sense for this story. And I think the way that you put it uh, made perfect sense as to why. Like, again, it's not flashy animation, but it, it does get flashy when it needs to again with um, the ghoul fights. And before we transition into our regular discussion for this anime, I think we will touch upon, of course... The iconic OP 
and the maybe a little iconic Edie. I don't know. But let, let's talk about the behemoth that is the OP, which is Unravel by TK from Ling Tosite Sigure. And if I look this up, the band name is Japanese for cold as a rain shower in late autumn. That is a long title or a long name. And of course, I think the most iconic part of this song is the Oh shit, shit. Okay, I'm not going to do that whole thing. Like, <laughs> my voice is spent right now. Uh, a funny thing about it is that um, when when this song comes up on our playlist, sometimes I will just jokingly repeat that first line over and over again. Isn't there a YouTube video that you came across that just repeats that first line for like a whole hour? Um, maybe I know like our friend who does like audio producing, he made a clip that did repeat that first line over and over again. Um, <laughs> because it kind of just works if you just play it endlessly. Uh, but then you have the rest of the song, which of course is like a very, it's a very angsty piece. Um, Hell yeah, it's angsty. Holy shit. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I've heard the full song for Unravel before, but like hearing it in the context of Tokyo Ghoul just makes it feel a thousand times more angsty and like an emo kid put this OP together. That's all I could think of. I'm like, damn, no wonder so many people watched this back when it came out in like the mid 2000s. It was probably appealing to everyone's emo soul. Yeah, and now that I have like a, a, an excerpt from the chorus, uh, it has verses like, in this shaken, twisted world, I gradually become transparent, unable to be seen. Please don't bother looking for me. Don't stare at me. So yeah, I think that for the demographic that was watching this back when it came out in 2014, you know, like like young adults, it probably resonated with them as you know feeling like you're an outcast from society. Where I think in the context of this anime, it's speaking to Kaneki's reluctance to succumbing to his ghoulish fate or becoming a ghoul i imagine it's like the same appeal that death note had um when that came out in like the early 2000s mm-hmm. to the moody kids back then who are like hey that's like me i'm i'm moody like that i'm i'm dark and deep like that <laughs> yeah it's like oh that's me like i i felt it that <laughs> i felt that uh but yeah it's an OP that's, again, I think it's just about Kaneki being unsure of his place in this cruel world of ghouls and humans. And visually, you have it starting off with this landscape where I think it's Kaneki who's sitting in a chair and just around him is just reflective ground that reflects the the sky above him. Very similar in appearance to his dream sequence in the final episode, although I think that was more of just like whitewashed, a whitewashed field of flowers, but kind of evoking that same imagery. And then it leads to him at the end becoming his, his ghoulish self, I guess, with his, his stressed out white hair or, or whatever. Um, in between, you have the, the cityscapes of Tokyo mixed in with the characters. I think during the chorus, my favorite shot is when you have Toka uh, with um, these static colors and images that come together to form her one large wing. Um, it's an image that I think is is very aesthetically 
pleasing to the eye. So Yeah, I gotta say, I don't inherently love the OP. It's not my jam, but I guess it resonates with me because of the meme ability. Like, just the memes alone have uh, allowed me to appreciate the OP more than I probably ever would have. And then moving on to the maybe not as much iconic, but pretty okay ED. Uh, The song is The Saints by People in the Box. Uh, The lyrics for this, I felt like it kind of represented a feeling of nothingness in life with verses like tomorrow is still empty, a gray that is endlessly close to black. And then the singer, I think towards the end of the the excerpt in the ED says, tonight I want you saints. I want you to signal the end saints. It's kind of like, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Kind of referring to that meme. So emo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm sure again, like this was all the rage for the young adults uh, back in 2014. Um, visuals wise, you have these artistic watercolor like visuals of the characters. Uh, and it's kind of just static images rather than an, a whole animation for the entire credit sequence. I like the ED. I think it, the song is pretty good. Um, it's super chill. I, I've i enjoyed listening to it the, the many times we, we played the ED. Um, did notice the ED visuals change often, but the artwork is always really nice. Um, so I thought that was a cool way to approach the ED is even if there's nothing animated, at least you're displaying artwork in a different style than what you're getting in the anime. I don't know if that artwork comes from the manga or where it comes from but yeah i thought it was just really nice to look at i think uh code Geass did something similar i'm sure like a lot yeah, of I early the, 2000s 2010s i think um, the code Geass ones were like clamp manga style imagery since clamp sort of um they're they're known for their manga artwork um but they had worked on code Geass's animation so i believe that was like an homage to them. I could be totally wrong. Someone correct me if I am wrong. Um, but I believe that's where that stemmed from. So that's why I assume that the artwork that they were showing at the end um, for the ED for Tokyo Ghoul had some connection to maybe the manga or a light novel or, or something, or maybe one of the artists that worked on the show. And yeah, like you said earlier, uh, I think the midpoint of this season, the images change for the ED because you see more of, I think there's one shot of Kaneki wearing his his mask and that wasn't what do you call it a gimp mask yeah my synopsis or yeah my notes i put it a a gimp mask uh but yeah just nice stylized versions of these characters that we haven't really seen in the show probably would be good as a print for any tokyo ghoul fans to hang up in their room or like a like their art hallway display if any of you have a hallway that displays anime art uh so yeah But all right, dear listeners, with all of that out of the way, it's time to sink our teeth into our synopsis and discussion for Tokyo Ghoul, the 2014 anime adaptation of the manga of the same name by Sui Ishida. Produced by Pierrot and directed by Shuhei Morita, the first season covers the first 66 chapters of the manga and follows a young lad named Kaneki in modern-day Tokyo as he is unwillingly thrust into the ghastly world of blood-sucking ghouls. In episode 1, Tragedy, college cuckold Ken Kankaki goes on a date with bookworm beauty Rize, 
but her true nature proves hard to read as Kankakee finds out she's a ghoulish gal with an appetite for human destruction. A happenstance construction accident, however, leads to an emergency surgery where Kankakee ends up with Rize's organs, thereby turning him into a haunted hybrid of human and ghoul. Despite his newfound carnal cravings, Kankakee vows to hold on to his humanity until a ghoulish grunt named Nishiki decides to force-feed him a corpsocopia. Wait, does Nishiki feed it to him? Was it Nishiki? No, it was Toka. Oh, well, oops. When Toka (laughs) decides to force-feed him a corpsocopia. Okay, maybe my notes were... I I wrote notes about that ending scene. Um, Oh, you're right. Toka force-fed him. Yes. Oops. (laughs) It's all right. Um, (laughs) Correction to my synopsis. This first episode was really cool, um, mostly because watching Kaneki descend into madness was pretty convincing. Um, He was just like a really innocent, nice kid who was too naive to realize he shouldn't walk down a dark alley with a girl he just met because she might eat his brains. Um, And then, yeah, he just half wakes up during surgery hears something about getting the girl's organs and then suddenly like he can't stand the taste of human food anymore um he loves the smell of blood and flesh um he realizes slowly over time that he has become the one thing that society fears the most the ghouls themselves and yeah it's just it was it was really interesting to watch him like lock himself away in his apartment trying to eat whatever he could, um, even if it was something that, like, his best friend gave him. He just couldn't stomach it. Um, and him just panic, thinking, like, if this is all actually happening, what do I do now? I think the coolest shot that displays, like, Kaneki's thinking after he gets that organ transplant is him. I think he's walking uh, within this sea of pedestrians, but he's... He's facing, I believe he was facing the camera while the pedestrians are like walking all around him, just showing again how out of place he feels. Like they were walking the opposite direction. Right, yeah. Uh, Like just showing how out of place he feels in this moment. Uh, I guess it's kind of like him just falling into that trap of Rize actually being a ghoul. Kind of that that typical kind of tropey thing you see in horror movies where protagonist or some character does something stupid and you know it's gonna lead it's it's gonna lead to something that's not good i know we don't get any mention of the doctor for like the rest of the fucking season except for like a split second in the last episode or something but i thought in this first episode that the doctor gave me bondrude vibes for anyone who knows who bondrude is you probably know what i'm talking about um like the doctor was probably able to save kaneki's life only through combining his organ or like Reese's organs with his body because his body was so fucked up. But was that the right thing to do or was letting him die the right thing to do instead of having him turn into a half ghoul? Clearly there was some ulterior motive here mm-hmm. as is hinted at the end of the, the season. But that aside, I mean, had the doctor not done this, would Kaneki have died in that moment? So was it Kaneki that the doctor was trying to save or was it Reese? Or is that I don't know. That's that's a good question. Uh, is that something that like you have to find out in the next season or whatever? Probably. <laughs> okay. In episode two, incubation, Kenkaki finds refuge in the carnivore cafe of Ante Cuckoo because coffee is apparently the only thing that keeps carnal cravings at bay. But when Nishiki returns to mess with Kenkaki's best friend Hide, 
it sends our ghoulish guy to go seven-page muda on the ghoulish grunt. Hiri is a real one. Um, I'm glad he didn't die, but I have this gut feeling like maybe at some point in the story he's going to die. I have no idea. I've never read the manga. I haven't watched past season one, but I just get the vibes that like his relationship with Kaneki is so important that at some point they're going to kill him off just to make like a statement in this show. But either way, he's a real one. And um, when Nishiki kicked him down the road or like down like the, the parking garage or wherever the it's fuck like they were. It's like under a bridge. Yeah. Like a tunnel. That was so unexpected. I love that part. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole season because you're just walking along and suddenly he just like punts him all the way down. And I was like, well, I was not expecting that. Yeah, there's no way that Hide would still be conscious after that kick. Well, like, he wasn't. He knocked out. Or maybe like not like not even within living condition. He, he like, probably would have like broken 10 bones in his body from like the G-forces of that kick. Yeah, but then miraculously he's fine the next few episodes. Uh, yeah, like Hide, like you said, he's a real one for, for being one of... Kaneki's only friends before he turned into a ghoul. Um, I it, I think it's still unclear, or maybe I didn't catch it, if Hide knows that Kaneki has turned into a ghoul. There's like some hints towards the end of the season that he may have some idea or some inkling mm-hmm. that something's going on with Kaneki. But yeah, I had a question in my notes whether or not Kaneki's new condition would jeopardize his friendship with Hide, but I think it's Pretty clear that Hide is a ride or die for Kaneki um, to the point where, again, here, Nishiki, I think, it was tempted to eat Hide, but Kaneki prevented that from happening. We also get that first glimpse of Rize, Rize? Rize's influence on Kaneki, um, especially when he refuses to eat and grows more and more uncontrollable, um, or like his tendencies as a ghoul become more and more uncontrollable because he has not satiated that hunger. Um, but we don't see much of it until the end of the season. Yeah, I think that was one thing I wanted more of is like Rize being over Kaneki's shoulder to taunt him and goad him into doing typical things expected of a ghoul. Like he's already going through a pretty big internal struggle, being mm -hmm. half ghoul, half human, but there's like this sub-struggle going on with Rize. Yeah, but I think it's it's overshadowed by, I think this is just a typical shonen protagonist thing, him feeling feeling like he's worthless in this world and that he he can't do anything with him having this human and hybrid ghoul personality or characteristic until that i think it was episode eight where he faces off against amon and that's where he comes to this realization but again i would have loved more of that internal struggle kind of like what you see with itadori and sukuna and jujutsu kaisen although i feel like they don't really do that there either um, that really just brings Kaneki to that boiling point at the end of this of this season more than just all of that happening at the end of the season. Well, to your earlier point, there is a moment in episode two towards the end where Kaneki feels like he has no place in the world now, being like a combination human and ghoul. But the cafe owner whose name I can never fucking remember. It's Yoshimura. Okay, y- Yoshimura. Um, <laughs> hopefully I remember that. He tells Kaneki that he has places in both worlds and is one of the few who has a place in both worlds. So he kind of 
he kind of does a 180 on Kaneki with his thought process and says, well, actually, you have a place in both worlds where, you know, everything is so divided. Um, So I think that's the first seed that's planted with Kaneki about his potential to maybe help the humans and ghouls come to terms Mm -hmm. at some point or like bridge that gap. Um, But yeah, it's it's a cool it's a cool concept that I I like that they explore many many times throughout the season. Well, uh, well let's return to that at the end of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, end of this. <laughs> there are uh, some things to say about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the other, one other thing with this episode that is a lingering question for me, and maybe a Tokyo a Tokyo Ghoul fan out there can address this, is why is it that like coffee is the only other sustenance? for ghouls besides human flesh or blood yeah there's like a lot of questions out there like how did the ghouls get here in the first place and like have Mm -hmm. they always been around like what where does this even start and then also (laughs) like the ccg or whatever like how are they able to extract the kagune from a ghoul and make it into a weapon like there's just like little things like that little world building pieces that are more just like a show don't tell type of thing. Like you just have to accept that coffee is the one thing that they can drink. Or you just have to accept that ghouls have already, have always been a, a concern in society or just have to accept that the CCG has these weapons. Or, you know, like Kanaki has to, to go to the basement and find out the answers. <laughs> in episode three, Dove, Alfred Ghoul, owner of Ante Cuckoo, hires Kankaki on at the cafe to help him get acclimated to his new ghoulish lifestyle. Though fellow waitress and frightening femme fatale Toka takes some time to warm up to him. After they visit a mask maker named Uta to commission a new ghoulish cosplay for Kankaki, they return to Antekuku and find a Jojo character, Sukiyama, who may have something up his sleeve that's more sinister than a stand. So by this point, Kaneki is slowly becoming more and more accustomed to his new life thanks to the cafe owner and Yoshimura. like Yeah, and Anteku taking him in. But he still struggles, right? Like he still struggles with even getting food, which they do by collecting dead bodies of those who committed suicide and are pretty respectful about it. Um, but he still needs to overcome that barrier of like I of accepting that now he must consume human flesh in order to not only survive, but to keep his ghoul tendencies under control. So it's still a journey for Kaneki through this first season to warm up and fully accept the idea that he is now 50% ghoul um, and that some of his daily life is going to be aligned to the ghoul side versus the human side. Although they don't really show any of that like them feeding on human sustenance so much. Like yeah, you, you can say it, um, and maybe it's something that like we don't need to see, but like it's something that like I just forgot about as the series went on because they don't they don't show Kaneki like having to f- feast on human flesh at all. Yeah, they never really do. Like they give him like the the meat in like the package and say like yeah. you need to eat this or they give him like the sugar cubes that'll stave off hunger which likely have like blood in them or whatever um but they never actually show him consuming until he bites Amon's shoulder yeah so that kind of makes it a little hard to sell that he's having this struggle because there are like at many occasions where we see Kaneki 
having to rely on human sustenance to continue surviving. Uh, another thing is like, what if there aren't any more victims uh, of like car accidents at that place they go to, right? They got to find a new suicide <laughs> point, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. In episode four, Supper, Sukisuki makes buddy-buddy with Kankaki and invites him to a lavish dinner. But plot twist, it's Kankaki who is the main course for a twisted ghoul gala. Before the butcher can carve a piece out for everyone, however, Sukisuki gets overcome with horniness and decides that he wants Kankaki a la carte for himself. I'll be honest, this was my least favorite episode of the entire season. It was a weird episode. This this whole show is decently realistic and again rooted in regular life, but this whole like deathmatch thing with some fucking juggernaut, like all of it did not seem to fit where the show was going and where it goes after this point. So like this episode four sticks out like a sore thumb to me, and I just did not like it at all. Yeah, I think this goes back to something we said earlier where it's, I think it's this is supposed to show like ghouls have assimilated into society with some of like the similar norms and, and customs. But this was like the, the secret society, like the ghouls version of the Illuminati. And yeah, it felt out of place even amongst knowing there, there's a, a special group of the government that's designed to fight off ghouls or whatever. And they don't even just like kill and eat the most delicious humans right because they call Tsukiyama is that his name yes um they call him a gourmet and there's this like whole society of gourmets um who seek out again the most like desirable humans to eat them they have to make a whole fucking death match where do you even have this giant arena right like where is this Mm -hmm. even located that no one comes across it you know what i mean um, where the government hasn't found out about it. And who the fuck is this juggernaut thing that doesn't even look like a real human being? Everyone else looks like a normal human being, and then this motherfucker comes out of nowhere. Is it? He, is he even a ghoul? I don't know. The whole thing was just, like, so far-fetched for me. Um, and again, I know I'm watching an anime, but this was, like, a super big stretch that, again, did not fit anything I was watching up until this point. And I was like, I don't get it. I need to just get this episode over with. <laughs> Yeah, I think this episode was meant to sell us on Sukiyama himself, which isn't a bad thing because Sukiyama in the Japanese dub is voiced by Mamoru Miyano. That guy is crazy. <laughs> uh, best known as Light Yagami. Uh, but yeah, he sells that that really creepy, almost like perverted male character role really well, especially with Sukiyama here. He's the Yandere. Yeah, that was the word, yandere. In episode five, Scars, Tsukisuki lays another bloodthirst trap for Kankaki by using Nishiki's human girlfriend, Kimi, as bait. Having been saved by Kankaki in a prior bullying incident, Nishiki and Toka tag along to save Kankaki from the ghoul with a sex overdrive. Tsukisuki proves to have too much big dick energy, though, so Kankaki offers Toka a bite of his own body to bequeath her with a battle boost. I liked this episode, but I, I just cannot get into Tsukiyama. Like, him and everything around him and the whole Yandere thing is so over the top. It just doesn't fit. Like, maybe I guess it fits the ending of the show because the ending was fucking over the top. Um, but everything else, like, it just... he. 
like the previous episode, he sticks out like a sore thumb. Like he just mm -hmm. doesn't fit the vibe that they were creating in the beginning of the show. But at least in episode five, the Tsukiyama arc ends. Um, and through that, we get a glimpse into Toka and Nishiki. Because Toka, I think in the beginning of the episode, shows that she has a soft side for the humans. Because um, Kaneki learns she's sick or not feeling well because she's been eating a bunch of human food. And she eats it because she cares about her friend Yoriko. Yoriko. Mm -hmm. um, even eating the stew that Yoriko brought over instead of throwing it away. Because Kaneki says, just toss it out. And she's like, no, she spent this time making it for me. And it shows that Yoriko is a really important person to her and that Toka does have, um, you know, sympathy or empathy, whichever, for some of the humans out there. Like, there's a connection that she can make with them, even though she acts like the cold tsundere. Yeah, that was, I think that and the backstory with uh, Nishiki, that starts to show more of the quote unquote human aspects of ghouls. And I think the show, time and again, tries to show that you know ghouls are not so different from humans and they experience emotions just like humans do because they of course they have human forms uh i think the the question lies especially with uh, kimi sticking with nishiki is can you turn a blind eye to the cannibalism of ghouls but i think the over the more overpowering message is that nishiki despite his ghoulish tendencies and cravings still cares for Kimi as a human, and he won't let that override his his desires, like his instinctive desires. Well, the timing of all this is interesting because if I understand how Nishiki's backstory played out, um, obviously we get the stuff about his sister being killed and all of that, but his relationship with Kimi happens right around the time that uh, that Kaneki has his fight with him. Because if I, again, if I'm understanding this correctly, um, Nishiki and Kimi were like seeing each other for a little bit, but he didn't have that like full connection with her yet, which is probably why he would feel comfortable eating her. But then he shows up at their place after having gone up against Kaneki when he was trying to kill Hide. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. that's the point where he ends up biting into Kimi and she's like, you know what, I'll let you do that because you saved me. So now I'm going to save you. So then he goes from this fight with Kaneki where he doesn't listen to Kaneki and he doesn't understand the importance of his best friend to him. And so he's like, this guy's mm, expendable. Yeah. He's just another human I can eat. And then overnight, basically, he then realizes that important connection, that important um, relationship that they have because he has his own established with Kimi when she, again, is willing to save him. So I guess in that sense, Kaneki is bridging that divide between human and ghoul in these instances, again, showing that your differences, like they're nothing compared to like your true relationships with these other, with these other characters. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously it all comes to a head with Tsukiyama in this episode. And I think they reach the climax in the beginning of the next episode, uh, which is episode six, Cloudburst where Toka defeats Tsukisuki and commands him to use that dagger to eat himself while Kankaki suppresses her urge to kill Kimi for merely win witnessing the whole travesty. Nishiki subsequently earns work at Antekuku while their 20th ward comes under investigation by the Commission of Counter-Ghoul, or CCG, 
whose two investigators, Amon Hamon and Madai Mado, permanently silenced the resident ghoul doctor, who was coincidentally Kankakee's surgeon, and lure a trap for his wife Ryoko and child Hinami, since they weren't down with CCG, yeah, you know me. So I'm glad that the Tsukiyama arc is over because um, that was or annoying. Is it? I know, right? And I wrote here in my notes, I doubt it's over for good. I'm sure he'll be back. Well, lo and behold, we'll get to that in a few episodes. But we are starting to see the bigger moral dilemma of the show, I think, take root. And that's, can and should ghouls be able to live safely the same way as humans? Or are they too much of a threat to humanity? And I think this might be one of my favorite parts about Tokyo Ghoul. Um, what really kept me interested episode after episode is this moral dilemma that they've established. And we have seen this in many other shows, anime and beyond. Um, we have seen this idea of like two very different groups um, who are maybe not so different when you look into them deeper, um, but they can't seem to get along and they can't seem to figure out who's right and who's wrong when maybe both of them are in the wrong to a certain degree. But what I like about the way Tokyo Ghoul approaches that concept um, is that they kind of wear it on their sleeve. They don't try to be um, subtle about it. They have these very obvious parallels. Um, you'll have conversations between um, a human and a ghoul where the ghoul is questioning the human about like, is this the right thing to do? Or is this the, you know, are you guys the ones in the right or are we? And then at the same time, a human is having that exact same conversation from the other side with the ghoul. And I think there is an episode where that exact thing happens. So yeah, it's, I think it's episode eight. <laughs> yeah. So I'll touch on that in, in just a few episodes. Um, but I, I just love how blatant they are about it without it being like too in your face. So I think they strike a really good balance um, and a, a really good way of painting this picture um, between the humans and the ghouls throughout this show. So I, I really enjoy that probably the most of everything. Although I think in reality, the question that remains is like, is cannibalism, right? <laughs> um, but no, I understand like, like you said, like what the show is aiming for is again, like there aren't many differences if you, you think about it between humans and ghouls. Yeah, because Kaneki, by this point in the show, is becoming so much closer to the ghouls and realizing that they are the same as humans, but they need to eat human flesh just because of the way they were born. They can't help it. That's like that's literally how they survive um, because of the way nature or wherever the fuck ghouls came from, however they were created, that's what caused them to be this way. Um, even the coffee shop owner invites Nishiki to join on Teku, and he says that it's a way for ghouls to live quietly and relatively guilt-free because mm. it's probably the most ethical means of obtaining food possible, right? Like Coffee. These, <laughs> these people are already dead and they chose to die, um, you know, even though I'm sure like they should be, you know, they should continue living, but they've already killed themselves. So they're just trying to do the best that they can by taking bodies that have already passed on versus killing living people who don't mm -hmm. want to die and want to continue being around. So it's not perfect, but it's, the again, the most possibly ethical way that they could come up with. Um, and that's why he tells Nishiki it's a way to live relatively guilt-free. You'll never be free of guilt but it's the best thing that we have at the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. But then you have the cloudburst of this episode, as it's aptly named Cloudburst, when the CCG come in and kind of 
fuck things over for the ghouls. And kind of similar to what you said earlier, I like that, you know, the CCG is supposed to be this governmental entity that's supposed to get rid of the ghoul threat. But in the next subsequent episodes with the focus on Amon and Mado, like you start to question it, like, are they really in the right? Because from what we've seen from the ghouls, they are tearing these families and these characters apart when we've, we or you know, the characters have become so emotionally attached to each other, especially with um, Hinami and Ryoko. Yeah, and like, again, the parallels are abundant here because um, there's the idea that ghouls are a very big threat to humans because they kill innocent humans. And to your point, we have humans killing innocent ghouls who don't go out and actively seek living humans and, and try to hunt them down so it's it's one for one really across the board the way that they set everything up and in the same episode you know toka was unable to kill kimi and kaneki explains to her that kimi is as important to nishiki as like hide is to him or yoriko is is to her mm -hmm. so if a human can keep that secret should they be allowed to live or are they too much of a threat to ghouls if they know that the ghouls exist in episode 7, Captivity, Ryoko is sent to the Shadow Realm by Mad-Eye Mado's team while Hinami runs back to Antekuku for safety. Toka catches wind of the incident and exacts revenge on a member of CCG's team before Mado forces her retreat. Kankake decides after this to finally make himself useful and goes back to Uta the Mask Maker to pick up his new Gimp cosplay mask. We continue to have more parallels here um, where the investigators are like distraught over the one dude's death, the guy with the glasses or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then one of them says, thankfully, he didn't have a wife, which is ironic because the doctor they killed um, earlier, which is Hinami's dad, um, had a wife and kid. And then they yeah. even killed the wife on top of that. And then Amon says at one point, like, there was no good reason that he died. He shouldn't have died. But from Toka's point of view, there was all the justification in the world because she felt like Hinami's mom shouldn't have died. There was no mm -hmm. reason she should have died. So, again, the parallels just keep on coming. What, you know, it has this episode with those investigators had that trope where, you know, like they're talking about how inspired they are by Hamon and how they, they want to come on. Oh, did I say Hamon? Yeah, you said Hamon. <laughs> okay, Hamon. I'm going to probably say Hamon again, but uh, how they feel inspired by his work and they, they strive to live up to his image. It's like, okay, you know they're about to be attacked by Toka at some point. And yeah, I was expecting both of them to be, but then it's just the guy with the glasses who, like, we, we could care less about him, but apparently Amon cares much more about him. He felt so expendable, and yet yeah. Amon was fucking wrecked when this guy got killed so i don't know maybe they had a closer friendship than we realized yeah all they gave of that is like right before is when they're at the ramen shop and the guy with glasses comments on the other investigators like oh you're having that meal again and i think it might be in this episode or the next episode where that the investigator who survived comments on that is like oh i never get to hear him like taunt me about that again which Okay, like, yeah, I, I see, like, you're trying to establish the emotional connection between this team, but it didn't feel as resonant as, again, seeing Hinami with uh, Ryoko. Like, maybe they could have built up more of, like, CCG, like, having this tight-knit community, but we only see them 
in their governmental forum talking about the ghoul threat. And then all of a sudden here we get introduced to Amon and Mado. So you bring up a good point. And I both like this and dislike this. So you're right. Like they they set up the humans as the antagonists of the show. Um, but they're supposed to be, again, a one for one between the humans and the ghouls. But they they oftentimes frame the humans as more of like the bad guys and don't give us much about that. Like sorry, much about um, why they have their motivations and what they're doing could be seen as right. However, I like it at the same time because it's almost flipping the script on you because you have a very clear-cut antagonist at the beginning of the show. But as this show goes on um, and progresses and shows us more about that antagonist, we actually learn they have you know wives and children and, and families and friends and mm, have these yeah. reasons um, you know to hate ghouls because their own loved ones were taken away. So it's kind of cool to sit there and think, okay, these are the bad guys. I, I know it. I feel it because that's what the show is telling me. And then as time goes on, you're like, shit, are they the bad guys? Like, I'm starting to sympathize with them more because of what they've gone through. So I, I, I definitely agree with you. But I also feel like maybe if we gave the show more of a watch, we could see that develop more and maybe like... Amon's story will unfold more and you'll you'll develop more of a heart for him and like you know be be more sympathetic to him I don't know where I'm trying to go with this but you know I feel like more time is needed but we've only watched season one I mean we we do get connected more with Amon in the season at least I did because he becomes more prevalent on the CCG side and I feel like his character especially after the next episode is is stuck between a rock and a hard place after like Kaneki uh, you know, we'll talk about it, but like um, after he realizes there's more to ghouls than just their carnal desires. And so in episode eight, Circular, everyone gets their Tokyo revenge as Hinami falls for a trap laid by Mad Aimado. The insane investigator is permadeathed by Toka and Hinami, whilst Kenkaki keeps Amon Hamon at bay with a little help from Rize's Kagune powers. Before his carnal cravings can kick in, Kenkiki is thankfully stopped by Alfred Ghoul's right-hand man, Yo-Yo-Mo, and Amon is left to grieve for his fallen, mad-eyed master. I think I get now why this is called circular with that parallel between the conversations that Amon has with Kaneki and Toka has with Mado, which I think you were referring to earlier. Yeah. In this episode, it's where... Toka, um, at the same time as Amon, are, they're questioning their rivals. Um, Toka questioning Mado, saying, you know, why are you killing the ghouls? They're innocent. They're kind. And then Amon, like, literally at the same time, they're, like, hopping back and forth between the two um, arguments. Amon's questioning Kaneki about why um, why ghouls should get to live and why their kind has to be killed and hunted down and whatnot. So I loved, again, how how blatant it was that they were showing us these parallels, but doing it in a way that made perfect sense. Um, And it just puts you right in the middle as the viewer to decide, like, who do I side with at this point? Do I side with anyone at this point? Do I feel like one is right, one is wrong, or is everyone in the wrong? Yeah, ghouls have feelings too. And then Toka (laughs) realizes after she kills Mato that um, he's wearing a wedding ring and realizes the cycle continues of killing, like, someone's loved one. 
and she's perpetuated that cycle. Yeah, but who would, in their right mind would marry a madman like that? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Love is uh, love is blind, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like we get a hint of either Mato's wife or his daughter in the next episode. Oh, going to his grave. Yeah, because we never see them again in this season, at least. Uh, but that's that's a hanging thread that we probably won't explore it, obviously, in this season, but in watching more of Tokyo Ghoul. And I'm glad Kaneki reminded himself uh, in his fight with Amon that he has the potential to help both humans and ghouls because he's both. Because honestly, even though he's gotten to know the ghouls as well as he has, he's still human and innocent humans are being killed by ghouls. It's almost like too much um, of a switch for him to forget that humans also have their reasons for hating ghouls. Because oftentimes, you know, since he's spending so much time with them um, and they've kind of become his like adoptive family, he does like, you know, root for the ghouls and say like, you know, they are good, good people as well um, and they have a right to live. But, you know, you, you have to find that balance between rooting for the ghouls, but also rooting for the humans. So this was a moment where he started to head down that track. Uh, maybe it all goes away. It's all for naught in the end. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but at least at that point, he kind of took the cafe owner's words to heart in the middle of this fight. Although we see that his gimp mask doesn't obscure his ghoul eye, it covers his human eye. I think the is... idea is to not let anyone find out that he's human. Oh. Because if you only show the ghoul eye when it turns black and red, the person they're fighting just figures, oh, this is a regular ghoul. But if they only see one of the eyes change colors, then he's going to be a very obvious question mark. True, but... Uh... Was it Tolka had like a full on mask, right? I just think yeah. it's it, it's funny that like I I like the symbolism of Kaneki's mask because it's it's kind of showing a little bit of his hybrid nature, but yeah, if, if you want to obscure the fact that you're a hybrid, why don't you just put a full on gimp mask? True. Maybe he needs to give his other eye a break because he wears that white eye patch all the time. <laughs> that, that just must be hard for him to just see things. He's probably <laughs> ruining his eyesight, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of inconsistencies in the way that ghouls work. And I feel like this is the starting point for when it becomes more obvious. Because backtracking a little bit to the beginning of the episode, we see that Hinami can smell her mom's scent from super fucking far away, from the cafe to the sewers. But yet Toka and Kaneki are searching for Hinami and they're running around and they can't find her anywhere. And I'm like, well, if she could smell her mom from that fucking far away and ghouls have a strong sense of smell, why can't you just sniff her out? There's no way you can't smell her from that same distance. Maybe Hinami has a more heightened sense of smell. I guess so. That was <laughs> the only conclusion that I could come to because they, they show us in, at multiple points that ghouls can smell certain smells. Like very, um, they have very keen senses of smell where they can even pinpoint the person that they're smelling. So I'm like, just sniff out Hinami. That's how she found her mom's bag to begin with. I was going to say, like, maybe the sewer smell is overpowering, but Hinami was able to smell <laughs> smell her mother in the bag, in the sewers. So Kaneki and Toka really don't have an excuse. But it's, you know, plot. 
that that's all it's it's just a plot it's just an inconsistency one of many <laughs> in episode nine birdcage amon hamon takes a walk down memory lane and reminisces of the glory days with mad Mado, while a semblance of normalcy returns to the antekuku crew though toka is racked with ptsd after having sent Mado to the shadow realm Amon is reassigned to the 11th Ward, where a couple of ghouls who were up to no good started making trouble in the neighborhood, one of whom happens to be Toka's younger brother, the angsty Ayato Jaeger. Mato in the flashback teaches Amon that once the foe is in front of you, you fight even if it costs you your arms and legs. And ironically, Mato's arm and leg got chopped off before he was killed. So got I guess him. he was a man of his word. <laughs> <laughs> but I found the relationship between Mato and Amon to be so interesting. They're obviously polar opposites in every facet. And you'd think it'd be like some bu- uh, buddy cop scenario where they clash and, and butt heads a lot. But they actually work together well and respect each other pretty much all of the time. Like once they have their first um, mission to together in the flashback from that point on and even like the present day stuff that we see they never fight they just like respect the shit out of each other and it's so cool because again (laughs) they are so fucking different or maybe amon is just so freaked out by mato but like he understands that he knows how to get the job done so he's more like fuck it i'll just go along with the flow (laughs) probably (laughs) and then we also get toka's backstory and as you mentioned learn that her brother is still alive but part of some like dangerous group and it seems like a war is about to start between the 11th and 20th wards over Rize. Um, and then Hide seems to suspect more and more, or he seems to suspect more than he's letting on about the ghouls and maybe even like about Anteku and about Kaneki. Uh, although we don't really get any resolution around that. Yeah, it, I know they, they introduced the flashback to Toka's childhood here just so we can get introduced to Ayato. But there's no real clear cut reason or like it doesn't show exactly what what turned him to the dark side uh so yeah like i don't a, know no resolution there either yeah very unexpected cameo for him and you know just a kind of jaw dropper moment at the end there well there is a bit of a, a of an explanation in the next episode i can just quickly jump to that um where he says like our parents were killed for no reason so i think he like hates on humans mm, yeah um because he's pissed that like his parents were were just killed off yeah he's angsty basically like everything <laughs> else in the show he's angsty maybe like there's so much of this season that's just more like fill in the lines and we have to accept that like again with Mado having been married or here like ayato suddenly turning to the dark side which is fine but maybe more context in the season would have been great um one thing we haven't really talked about, and I, I kind of alluded to this in the synopsis, uh, are the the voice actors for this show. Like it's a star-studded cast. Uh, yeah, with me mentioning Ayato Jaeger, Ayato is voiced by Yuki Kaji, who did who does Aaron Jaeger in Attack on Titan, as well as does Aaron Jaeger <laughs> her voice, who voices Aaron Jaeger in Attack on Titan, as well as Koichi from JoJo. Uh, Going back to the main character's Kaneki is Natsuki Hanae. I think that's pretty apparent with his voice because he sounds just like Tanjiro from Demon Slayer or Falco, also from Attack on Titan. Uh, Toka is voiced by Sora Amamiya, who is well known for Chizuru from Rent-A-Girlfriend. Okay, I thought so. The whole time mm. I'm like, that sounds like a really moody Chizuru. 
I didn't even realize this until I I read who the voice actor was, and then it clicked. Suzia, who is the baseball-stitched guy that we're introduced to in this episode, is voiced by Rie Rie Kugimiya, who is known for Taiga from Toradora, Kagura from Gintama, and from this year, Kotaro from Kotaro Lives Alone. Uh, We talked about Tsukiyama as... uh, being voiced by Mamoru Miyano. Amon is Katsuyuki Konishi, who did the voice for Kamina and Guren Lagan, uh, Diavolo in Jojo Part 5, as well as Tengen from the recent season of Demon Slayer. And even, again, in this episode, Nico is played by my boy, Kenjiro Suda. I feel like he played a similar character in Domestic Girlfriend. So, yeah, just all of these these great uh, voice actors in this show that I never realized um, so just wanted to point that out. In episode 10, Algiri, Palooza breaks out in the 11th ward as the Algiri tree gang wreck havoc amongst its CCG inhabitants. A leader of a ghoul splinter group, Banjo-Kazooie, heads to Ante Kuku to warn Rize but stumbles upon her hybrid human host Kankaki instead. And who would have thunk that Palooza would have its own celebration in the 20th ward as Ayato Yegor as Ayato Jaeger and Yamori, a ghoulish gangster with a grudge against Rize, show up to kidnap Kankaki. Team Ante Kuku decides to come up with a plan to save their ghoulish guy, and who else do they call for help but Sukisuki, the spooky sex-driven socialite. I'm just going to put this out there, because this is my opinion on the way that things unfold in the last part of Tokyo Ghoul. Starting with episode 10, shit starts to fall apart. Like, I... I did not like the way 10, 11, and 12 played out. And 10 is really where things started to take a nosedive for me. Because what the fuck was happening with that coffee shop scene? I mean, the, the very beginning of it was funny because Banjo or whatever comes in acting all tough. And then he orders a cup of coffee to chat over. And then he smells Rize on Kaneki and then assumes he's dating her and gets all jealous. Like, that was great. But then once the um, once Toga's brother shows up and then Jason shows up, I'm like, what is happening? Because first you have, again, Banjo and his posse show up. And then um, Toka's brother Ayato shows up and smashes through the window all dramatically. Like he couldn't just fucking walk through the door. Because clearly we know it's possible because Jason then walks through the door mm-hmm. with some other dude we've never met before. Um, it just seems like a little bit of a stretch that all of these fucking people show up at the same time to this one coffee shop and just Kaneki and Toka are there. Like it was just too perfect of a situation for the bad guys. Um, And then you have Jason beating the ever-living fuck out of Kaneki and Ayato attacking his sister in this fucking tiny-ass coffee shop. And I'm just like, things escalated way too quickly in this episode. I'm like, we went from zero to 100 in the matter of like five seconds. Yeah, I'm wondering if in the manga, this section of the story was fleshed out more, but they wanted to condense things in these last three episodes because yeah it just happens one after the other and feels really rushed in the bigger scheme of things i mean i get that they probably wanted to end the season on this capstone of you know kaneki being kidnapped and then embracing his his full ghoul but yeah you have all the previous episodes that kind of have their own arcs 
And I know I understand this is its own arc, but it just needs to be fleshed out more. No, no pun intended. And then to top things off, like I fucking called earlier, I knew Sukiyama was going to make a comeback. He's one of those cockroach characters like where no matter how many times you think they get rid of him, he always comes back thanks to that lovely thing called plot armor. So once he made an appearance, I'm like, here we go. Let's fucking go. It's just they're they're like like all in at this point with the, the ending of this show. It's Soka vibes in a way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Hisoka was cooler. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, I, I don't mind hearing Mamoru Miyano's voice again. In episode 11... High Spirits, as Kankakee has a brutal BDSM session with Yamori and Jason cosplay, World War Ghoul breaks out in the 11th Ward between the CCG, Yeah You Know Me, and the Aogiri Gang. In the midst of the chaos, Team Antekuku navigate through the gang's shopping mall fortress in an attempt to rescue Kankakee, while the CCG face the threat of Aogiri's gang leader, the One-Eyed Owl, though I can barely see what his threat is with my own two eyes. Again, things just seem so rushed. Like, suddenly we're in this war that, like, sure, got hinted at, like, maybe one or two episodes ago. And, like, there was this bit of foreshadowing about a big clash between the 11th Ward and the 20th Ward. Um, but I don't even think it's the 11th Ward and the 20th Ward going at it. It's Aogiri and the fucking CCG going at it. So I'm like, you hinted at a war, but it's not even the same people going at, going to war in this fucking episode. And then on top of that, for some reason, Jason feels the need to torture Kaneki, and Kaneki keeps asking, why me? And I'm like, good question. I'm wondering the same thing. What the fuck is happening? Well, isn't it just that he wants to awaken Rize's power? I think so, because he knew Kaneki? the doctor. Mm-hmm. He, he like, probably found like the files, <laughs> the medical files. Well, he like yeah, somehow he knew like the doctor's name and knew that like the doctor was doing all this stuff. And the pliers, something about the pliers. Yeah, and like, but again, it's it's just so um, detached at this point because they have not talked about it since the first episode. That I'm like, okay, I get the connections, but I don't get the connections at the same time. I also hate that they introduced another Yandere character with the investigators, with the the one, the Suzia. one kid. Suzia, yeah. Um, without giving us much context around him at all. Like, they just brought in another fucking Sundere, or sorry, Yandere, when they already also brought back the original Yandere, Sugiyama. Like, that's too many Yandere's. Too many cooks. Like, just too many. Um, but again, like, they didn't even bother telling us anything about Suzia. They're just, like, he's just there being crazy. And apparently he's a good investigator, but we barely see that. Yeah, I thought he was a ghoul at first, but apparently he's not. I think he's just supposed to be like a, a fill-in for for Mado. And it feels like something similar to uh, the characters that we've seen in Death Note, if you catch my drift. Yeah. Uh, where it, it doesn't have like the same impact. Uh, the, the things that I really found weird about this episode is that I mean, they've, they've hinted at this war between the ghouls and the CCG, but to see it as like an actual war just seems weird. Like they're attacking each other with weapons. And I know some of the ghouls have like these crazy Kagune powers that are put on display, but for the first half, it's like <laughs> they're both dressed in like military gear and attacking each other with or firing at each other with like assault rifles or whatever. Like it 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 doesn't 
it doesn't fit in with this imagery that I have of like this world of ghouls. I know it's supposed to be rooted in realism, but something about it just felt too extreme. And then they also have been hinting at this one-eyed owl or this one-eyed ghoul leader, and he shows up, but like we don't actually see him. He shows up and transforms, but then you get nothing else about him. Like they say, you know, don't don't put all your men up against this ghoul. Just get a few of your best men because they're probably gonna die. He's so he's so tough. He's so bad. And then I'm like, what about him? I don't know what's going on. I don't even know what he looks like. Mm-hmm. You just like barely showed us him transforming, and then we just moved on. I'm very confused right now. Yeah, that was one setup that happens in this episode that doesn't get resolved in the final episode for the season. And then you also have Toka running into Ayato again. And so you have this battle of the siblings that I thought was going to play out in episode 12. But as we will soon learn, that is not the case. I forgot that they were about to battle. And Mm -hmm. then it just doesn't, like there's nothing... There's nothing. There's no resolution in the last episode. So yes, let's let's jump into that. So yeah, in the final episode for this season, episode 12, Ghoul, Kankakee falls into hallucinations during Jason's torture session, wherein Rize goads him to embrace his inner ghoul. Apparently, the stress of the entire situation is so overwhelming that it turns Kankakee's hair a bright white and turns on a loudspeaker that plays the OP, thereby making Kankakee evolve into Dark Kankakee. Dark Kankakee makes easy work of his former captor and forces Yamori to have a taste of his own medicine. Who knew that this Tokyo ghoul would be so Tokyo cruel? At this point, I was like, I am over this torture porn. It's dragging on for so long for something that came out of nowhere. If there was like more buildup to this point, then maybe it would it would feel like the torture plays a more important role in Kaneki's story. And like it does play a role because it kind of awakens his full ghoul potential. Um, but I don't know, like it was just too much. Like this, this shit just dragged on for way too long. I mean, I get it. It was meant to bring Kaneki to his breaking point. And, and then you have the hallucinations where Rize again really brings him to that point and just makes him go berserk. Uh, but I think that goes back to, like, Kaneki wanted to be this bridge between the human and the ghoul world, right? But for him to, I think, presumably take over, like, to ha- like fully embrace being a ghoul, I don't know if that really works counter to his mission. Well, you noticed that because um, you had paused the episode for a quick second. You you noticed that there were like ten minutes left around the time that Kaneki finally started to break out of like his his um, like his seat that was that he was mm-hmm. in. He was trying to, starting to escape right from his situation. So that basically tells you that for a full episode and a ha- episode and a half, he was being tortured. That's why I was like, just just stop already. Like, I get it. You're you're trying to make this really dramatic, climactic moment, but also you have been torturing this guy for an episode and a half. Like, show me something else. Um, and again, if there was more buildup to that and some more foreshadowing to this point, maybe I would have been like, okay, I'm more invested in this, but it came out of nowhere. It's like the last three episodes spiraled and suddenly became depression the anime. 
which isn't a bad thing. Hmm. But again, there was nothing leading to this point. It just escalated so quickly. And another inconsistency I found um, with this whole torture scene was Kaneki having to choose between like the two people who were going to help him escape. It didn't bother me that he was put in that situation to have to make that decision. But the girl dies by having her neck broken. And the guy gets donutted when he gets stabbed in the gut by Jason's Kagune. And we've seen multiple times in this show that these two things do not kill ghouls because they can eventually recover. So it just seems so inconsistent. I mean, how many times has Kaneki and Toka been stabbed in the gut and they're totally fine the next day? Or how many times have limbs been ripped off? I mean, even the whole torture for Kaneki is his toes and fingers getting chopped off and then them regenerating. So this chick gets her neck broken, but she can't just like heal. I don't know. It just, it seems so inconsistent. Well, I think with Kaneki, he has a special regenerative ability, and that's why Yamori constantly put like tortures him to prove like that, like he has Rize's powers. Well, no, um, I understand that, but like again, Toka gets stabbed in the gut, and she mm-hmm. regenerates her gut. Um, Tsukiyama gets his arm chopped off by Toka, and then his arm comes back, and even says like he eats himself. Yeah, to regenerate. <laughs> so we know that like ghouls can regenerate. So I don't know. It just it well, just didn't make any sense to me. Toka got sustenance from Kaneki, and that's you know I guess Kaneki's like blood is op enough to to resurrect her. Uh, I think it all it's supposed to all go back to sustenance. I think. At that point, like you have the two ghouls that were put on death row by Yamori, like without any sustenance near them. But they could have lasted for a while. It's not like they all got their sustenance immediately and they were able to regenerate, like over time. Okay, so think about Nishiki when he gets beat to shit with Rize's power when Kaneki is trying to protect Hide. He's like up in the rafters and then he has to like crawl his way home and then he's like trying to regenerate. And it's a struggle for him, yes, because he needs flesh and that's why he bites Kimi, but he's still okay after getting stabbed a million times. So again, Mm -hmm. there are inconsistencies here with the way these two ghouls die versus like other ghouls getting pummeled to shit and then being totally fine within a few days. Yeah, and I I think I tried to look up the, the reason or like how ghouls actually die and it just said if they receive very life-threatening or critical injuries uh but like you said like these these other characters have such strong plot armor that they can survive the test of time literally the same if not worse injuries than these two people got these two ghouls got and yet these two ghouls die in an instant i just like that I, i had to roll my eyes at that i'm like come on guys at least be consistent about how strong ghouls are And so after all of this torture and Kaneki like awakening his powers and all this shit, he decides that he's just a ghoul. Like, is he pulling a Dio and throwing away his humanity? Because he looks at Jason and says, I'm a ghoul. So I'm like, okay, so you're not a human anymore. So then what was all of this for? (laughs) You talked so much about being the only one who fits into both societies or both worlds and bridging that gap and trying to help find peace. And then you're like, I'm a ghoul. Like, okay, well then fuck me, I guess. (laughs) It was just so annoying. Like it would have been cool if like he said something different than I'm a ghoul, um, but it just made it feel like everything else that he had talked about and fought for was totally discounted. And this makes me think I have to bring back my Dark Knight references because I haven't made one in such a long time. 
Kaneki here is like you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, which is what happens at the end of this episode 12. Or maybe he has a reason for it that we haven't, like within the context of his hallucinations with Rize, that we aren't connecting. But yeah, it just seems at this point he is beyond, like, beyond saving. I did have a few more sticking points. I'll just run through them really quick. So Jason talks to Kaneki about Aogiri's, like, like them getting rid of anyone who stands in their way, human or ghoul, because they're trying to reach their goal. What the fuck is their goal? And why the fuck is Jason so hellbent on getting to Rize? And what did she take from him? Because she keeps saying, like, I want what she took from me. I don't know. I don't know what's going hmm. on. And then, like, why did Kaneki's hair change colors? Like, he was so stressed out. Yeah, from all the stress, he turned <laughs> his hair turned gray. Because we haven't seen any other ghouls have their hair change colors when they activate their ghoul powers. But then, on top of that, I think you, you and I both no- noticed this. When he finally does awaken those powers and his hair turns white, why did his shirt turn black and his pants turn white? He was wearing his work uniform where he had a white shirt and black pants. And I'm like. So his hair changes colors and his clothing changes colors. Yeah, his clothing. What got the fuck was that? His clothing got stressed too from all of the torture. Uh, that was crazy. I mean, like, what a cool ghoul power! If you don't like how your outfit looks, I guess you could just change the colors of of your shirt and pants. It was it was so like left field. I did have, I did have a good chuckle at that when I looked at it, and I'm like. Why are his clothes different when only his hair was supposed to change? Um, and then the last thing, it's just interesting how the two groups working to rescue Kaneki both failed. And he just gets himself out. So you have Anteku, oh, yeah. who's trying to rescue him. And then you have Banjo's group, who's trying to rescue him. And then no one shows up to rescue him. Oh, yeah. And then in the last episode, we saw like Alfred, like he was doing recon. And then he gets up. And you think he's going to do something special during the mission. So that that's another dangling thread, which I'm sure is, is addressed in season two. Hopefully. I would hope so. Because, yeah, there's very little resolution that you get from this season. Other than, like, I guess Jason gets taken down. But, like, are we sure? Because Sukiyama lived. So what's stopping Jason from living? Um, I just, yeah, there was just so many open plot lines um, where it didn't even feel like a cliffhanger ending. It felt like a rushed ending. Like they couldn't resolve anything. So they just didn't resolve anything. Yeah. Did I say that right? They couldn't resolve anything <laughs> in time. So they just decided not to resolve anything at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my notes to say it, like, that's how it ends. It was it, so like, abrupt. <laughs> and I know like the season two came out, I think a year after the first season. Uh, which is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Tokyo Ghoul <laughs> Square Root A. <laughs> <laughs> I right? don't know either. I saw that. I'm like, a I'm not check even trying. Is that a check mark or is that a square root sign? I don't know. But yeah, like we could f- find out what happens next, but I don't know if we necessarily like i said beginning if we necessarily want to let me clarify it's totally fine if a first season has dangling plot lines because that's fine like it it lends to more of the story progressing in a season two and season three but usually season one has some level of resolution so that you feel satisfied by the end of it this not so much and that brings us to our final thoughts for this very special spooky episode on tokyo ghoul so how many 
Tokyo Gabagools out of 10 would you give this series? I was expecting, instead of an office reference, a an Always Sunny in Philadelphia reference with the little green ghouls. Oh. When Charlie's like, you know, ghouls. I, I like little green ghouls. Wait, did they make a Gabba Ghouls reference in the office? Yeah. I'll have the Gabba Ghoul. <laughs> no, right? I was just making a pun about oh. the Gabba Ghouls. Yeah, I was thinking like the office of like the Gabba Ghoul. He'll have the Gabba Ghoul. Yeah, but, but Gabba Ghoul is just like a like an actual like the term for cold cuts. I was thinking yeah, I know. Of, <laughs> Gabba Ghoul, which is an image I think I found on Twitter. Of, of like, the Gabba Ghoul. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll post that in the Discord for anyone who's confused by that because that was a pretty funny meme. But anyway, I would give Tokyo Ghoul Season 1 a 7.5 out of 10. Things were going so well until the end. Like the last two and a half to three episodes um, just became exhausting to watch because they dragged out the torture porn and barely, le- barely left time for any resolution for the season. And the end just felt like a totally different anime than the rest of the show. But with that said, I still enjoyed it. And I can see the potential in this story. I really loved the moral dilemma of like who's wrong and who's right between humans and ghouls. And that both sides have done terrible things to the other side who don't deserve it. It's a really powerful message behind everything that like kindness, communication, and understanding could solve so many problems with two very different groups. And there's a lot I'm still wanting more of. Like I'm really interested in that Dr. Kanao, I think it was his name. Um, Like Jason drops that towards the end, like the Dr. Kanao, 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 using Kaneki as an experiment and, and, you know, turning him into half ghoul, but then like that doctor's connection with Jason, why Jason was after Rize in the first place, what Aogiri's goal is, um, more backstory on Amon and why he personally hates ghouls. Cause I think he was hinting like maybe somebody in his life was killed by a ghoul. Um, the resolution after that abrupt ending, because they're like, I'm pretty sure the CCG is still fighting the ghouls outside, but they just ended the season. So I'm like, is that fighting still going on? Did someone win? So there's a lot of cool things that can be explored in subsequent seasons. However, despite this enjoyment of the first season and finding the plot to be pretty interesting, I don't feel a need to watch more, especially when everyone says that everything past season one is bad. So if the following seasons were good, I'd probably keep watching the show. But knowing they're bad and seeing the scores on Mal and just hearing about how the anime goes to shit, I'm not intrigued enough to keep watching. But what about you? Yeah, I would give this first season of Tokyo Ghoul an 8 out of 10. It wasn't as haunting or enthralling of a story as I thought it would be, but I thought it was a solid tale of two societies, the ghouls and the humans, at odds with each other despite their commonalities outside of, again, cannibalism, of course. Uh, I think part of why I didn't particularly like enjoy the series as much as I thought I would is with having Kaneki as the protagonist because I feel like a lot of the supporting characters like Toka or Mado or even like Tsukiyama, of course, like they have more compelling backstories and personalities while... He feels like the typical self-deprecating uh, shonen protagonist throughout the series until the very last episode. The self-defecating? Self- I thought you were going to say that at first. <laughs> self-deprecating. <laughs> uh, even though like he's supposed to have this most OP ghoul in the world, I guess. Uh, I would have loved to see like more of that conflicting dynamic between Kaneki and Rize, but 
as we've talked about, most of that was kind of shoot in in the last episode and like the 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 eleventh hour, and then you have all of these dangling plot threads happening. You get like with Amon trying to reconcile with how how you can even try to sympathize with ghouls or during the war between the ghouls and the CCG, like what's going to happen between um, Ayato and Toka or like where the fuck is the Alfred ghoul <laughs> Yoshimura, I guess. Uh, and like you said, I, I don't know if I'm compelled enough to continue the story, like just with all these, these things in mind and with hearing the community feedback on the remainder of the anime. Although I think as with, like my approach with the anime Orient, maybe it's it would be a good thing to have all of that in mind and still to watch the show through its entirety just to have a bigger context to it. That's probably not going to happen until way further down the road, but who knows. Nonetheless, this first season of Tokyo Ghoul was a ghoulishly gratifying watch, even if some of its world building didn't feel as captivating as similar series that we've seen in recent memory. But I can't deny that its OP will live forever rent-free in my head. It was a great watch. If anything, it was a wonderful thing to watch for Halloween, for spooky season. It fit the theme so well, um, and I'm glad that we watched it for this Halloween episode. Yeah, I wouldn't say it satisfied my cravings, no pun intended. (laughs) But yeah, it did make me feel ghoulish. It got me feel ghoulish. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it made me excited for Halloween. And to everyone listening, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, For those pilgrims. who celebrate um, and dress up in costumes, have a great time. Be safe. Uh, if you're going to go trick-or-treating for whatever reason, whether it's like with some kids or you yourself are going to go trick-or-treating, get a shitload of candy and just binge that while watching anime. That's the best yeah. way to end Halloween. Check that your candy isn't filled with a copy of Doom or <laughs> whatever that meme <laughs> that is That right meme, now. yeah. <laughs> but thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate you guys. And again, happy Halloween. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune into Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.